This is the What Matters Most podcast. A 100% listener-supported program. And now, here is your host, Paul Samuel Dolman. Welcome back to What Matters Most. Thank you to everyone all around the world who listens and writes in and supports the show in a multitude of ways, whether you're a Patreon, emotionally, spiritually, ideas, you're a publicist, you name it. Thank you, thank you. I have an author on the show today who is just such a brave and incredibly inspiring individual. The book just left me breathless. It will touch your soul. And it's called Leaving. How I Set Myself Free from an Abusive Marriage. It's such an honor to welcome to the show for the first time, Kanchan Bhaskar. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much, Paul, for inviting me on this show. I am so much looking forward to a conversation because when I listened to your podcast, I felt that your voice is so soulful and full of humility. Coming from a corporate world, it is rare to find that. So I'm very much looking forward. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. I stay humble by looking at the vastness of the universe and the stars. And unfortunately, my infinite imperfections, which are as many as the stars. And then I just try to accept all of that and say, I am here as God's creation. Let's try to do the best I can today. And uh, your life's very courageous. We're going to get into that. I wondered first, what was it like for you growing up in India as a child? What was your early, what were your early years like? I think I was blessed, unlike so many other families in India, um, which you all know is a country full of poverty. Uh, but at the same time, it is also a country which is blessed with spirituality and warmth and togetherness. Uh, so growing up, I was lucky to be born in a very progressive and a modern environment where my parents cherished each other. And I observed the partnership. I was blessed to be in that warmth and their tenderness. So growing up, my mental model was that this is what marriage is about. You know, full of caring, full of love, full of this, uh, you know, togetherness and the tenderness. Uh, that is what marriage to me was about. And growing up, reading Mills and Boons and Barbara Cartlands and having those dreams of a you know, a man coming one day and just sweeping me off the floor and taking me along with him in on a, maybe a, a black stallion or something like that <laughs> into the clouds and to his big mansion. Uh, that was the dream I had. Uh, I was a very happy-go-lucky girl, a very uh, outgoing, friendly, People called me an infectious smile because I always had a smile on my face. Uh, I just like to be around people, with people. I admired people. I was fascinated by them. So that was my life. Very free and I would say a free soul-like. And you ended up in an arranged marriage, but did you not want to choose your own partner and follow your own path and choose from the heart? 
you know, I was given the freedom, Paul. I was given the freedom by my parents to do that. But then I ended up moving in groups. So I was, in fact, very choosy, I would say. So if I would look at a person whom I was infatuated to or attracted to, I was always either I was so much infatuated that I would not even approach the person. Um, I would lose my sleep. I would lose my appetite. But uh, then I somehow would not approach the person and say, that was a different environment, you know, where the, the women folk will not approach on their own. And uh, then I chose to be in the groups where we were all together and having fun. So I did not set my eyes on one particular person. The other reason was that uh, my college mates were not settled by that time, you know, when they were my classmates after all. So when my marriage time came, I had just passed out my master's and all the, the students, all of them were looking for jobs at the time. So nobody was well settled. Uh, and so I kind of chose that, okay, fine, you know, let's give an ad in the newspaper. That's how it goes if your family is not large and you don't have anybody coming to you with the word of mouth that they have this particular person uh, which will suit your daughter. So we gave an ad in the newspaper saying that, and there is a matrimonial column that comes in newspapers in India on a Saturday and a Sunday, wherein you put your ad saying something like, wanted a suitable match for five feet, three inches girl who's a master's in social work, fast uh, no bar. That's what I wanted them to write that I was not particular. You know, India has got caste system. So, Caste no bar meaning like I was not particular that the person has to belong to this caste only. He should be enlightened person, uh, educated person, an intellectual, um, kind of having somewhat same frame of mind as I had. So that's how I ended up in an arranged marriage. And did your family do a lot of due diligence on this guy? No. Not even, no, nothing at all. In fact, the boy's parents came in, they had somebody known to them and they were our neighbors. Uh, so the neighbors came to us and they vouched for the family. And you were only 22, which is in hindsight. We, When we look back, that's so young and we think we know so much. Yeah, so much. I was like really really thinking I'm a very worldly, wise girl. And so were my parents. So I was totally depending on their hunch also. And the boy, the you know, we call them boy when they're not married. So the boy um, gave me those wives too. Very charming wives, very um, intelligent. He And he was an intelligent person. He was on a very senior level at work, uh, he was educated, but these were all his deceptive looks. What do you think now of arranged marriages? Do you think it's okay or would, do you think it's better to choose? Although the numbers aren't so great when we pick either, but I'm a big advocate for do a lot of due diligence, especially on this 
choice because so much rides on it as your story will unfold and show. And poor people do that. You know, people do a lot of due diligence where arranged marriages are concerned. And uh, still things happen. And, you know, marriage is such a gamble. Even in love marriages, you think the uh, people remain happy. Not really sometimes. And uh, it's just a gamble. Well, will you talk about what unfolded and how it turned dark? I was very curious, too. You were assaulted that very first time. What did that feel like? What a violation. And here you are, this very young woman. To have that happen, I don't want to trigger any past trauma, but share what anything you wish. Yeah, so um, I got married. It was all hunky-dory for the first few weeks, few meaning three weeks, I would say, because I got married in December first week. Um, and then it happened so happened that it was a New Year's Eve which came three weeks later and uh, you know we went for a party and that was the first time I saw him drinking or the the previous three weeks he did not touch the drink and uh, that was the day he started to drink and he introduced me to a couple of people and then he left me there with them and he was missing for a while and I kept looking for him because it was like it's my also new years after my marriage I want to be with my husband and talk to him you know and uh, I kept looking for him and then I found him at one corner uh, you know having a glass in his hand and he was already a little bit in his walk he was wobbly and I could make out that he is, you know, kind of drinking more than required. And then as the party was coming towards an end, I was like, okay, let's go. He said, okay, wait here. Uh, he gulped the rest of his drink and he went out and I still kept looking for him. And then I heard some voices coming from outside and I ran towards outside and saw that he was in scuffle with another person. Um, and they were both you know, kind of hitting each other. And I was shocked. I said, what's this going on? And one of the couples came to help. And I just took his hand and I started to walk towards the house. The house was very close by. And uh, I took him all the way home and he came home. He wanted more drink. He did that. I was scared to death because I had never seen anybody drunk in my family alcohol was a no-no and I was in a society where I never saw anybody drinking except for movies where you see all these characters who are drunk but in Indian movies they are the comical actors you know who get drunk and then they do all these comical actions so that was what drinking was for me so uh, he got drunk and then he sat on the sofa he dragged me on the sofa and he started to say something against my family and the marriage and he was how unhappy he was. And, and then um, I just went into a shock and I said, what happened just now? Something happened and my cheek was burning. And then I felt, oh my God, he slapped me hard on my face. I got numb 
I was lost. I did not know how to react. I was just having my hand on my cheek and sitting there worrying that he is going to give me another slap. So that was my first encounter of, uh, of an abuse ever in my life so far. Uh, I was, my life spun just upside down in that very moment. And I thought, what have I done? What has happened? Whether is this man, is this the man that I quoted for, uh, for six months before the wedding and he was behaving so charming and loving and affectionate and with his all affectionate smile. Uh, is this the man I married? Like, who is he? Is he a stranger? It felt like I was not in reality. This was not reality. This was not happening to me. It can't happen to me. I just refused to even take it in at that moment. What are the divorce laws like? Could you leave him or was that like taboo? Because could you just, you didn't have any kids then. Could you just have packed a bag or even just left and gone home? What was that? Or was there, would have been a lot of shame? Would your parents have supported a move like that? So as far as the society is concerned, Indian society divorces are taboo and they are still taboo. And especially when a woman asks for it, a woman cannot ask for a divorce. Um, and the society, the law is not on your side. The society shames you as to why he hits you. What do you do to him? It's not, it's not like uh, you can leave him. No, he is your, people told me their society told me there that he is your third and fourth handicapped child. I had three children by the time. And I had the, my daughter first within 11 months of my marriage. And then the twins came three years later. And I was told he's your fourth handicapped child. If he drinks, uh, you have to take care of him. Where will he go? And I was not uh, supposed to leave him. But still, the lawyers would tell me, first, the thing, the first reaction was, oh, so you are a woman who wants to divorce. What do you do to him? Because the lawyer, the law, the police, the you know all these government agencies there are filled with people or men who believe in men role belief system. Means we are born to have power, and the women is born to serve. So that man role belief system had has to change, which hasn't yet. Um, and I was caught in that. I was caught in that. I never knew that having this modern upbringing, my husband will turn out to be that person. So um, like I said, the divorce lawyer said that if you leave him, your children will be divided for sure because they were young. So he will be given um, at least one child out of the three. And that was not acceptable to me. I would not have my any one of my child go to a narcissist, alcoholic, violent person. Uh, so that was my quandary. I could not leave my children. And that was what the lawyers 
in different stages, whenever I went to them, that is what they told me. And the other fear that they put into me was that if he comes along saying that the woman is, uh, you know, having an affair somewhere else and produces some pictures, then all the three will go to him. And taking a picture and producing in the court is the easiest thing one can do in India. You pay somebody and they take your pictures. How horrible is it to be a woman in these highly misogynist countries? I know often the woman can be murdered by the husband and there's no consequence. That's just terrible. You must have felt like the whole world was against you and you were trapped with this dangerous sociopath. Absolutely. I felt alone. I felt ignored and uh, I was in a mess. I, As I said, I was lost, numb and depressed and there I could not see any way out. Although my parents were on my side, uh, this man would manipulate me every now and then. You know, typical cycle of a classic violent person that they 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 would drink they would hit and then they would manipulate you by crying and being on your feet and saying don't leave me i have nobody else in my life and the woman you know she tries her best she says okay fine let me give him one more chance uh which on hindsight i think i shouldn't have but then again the the, the issue of the children were there so yeah, it's, it's very tough. The, the times are changing a little bit. When I was growing up, when I got married, the urban India was 5%, which was more educated people. And they still the man rule belief system was still there in those families. But I don't think there was so much of violence taking place in every house. But the 95% agriculture farmers who were in rural areas and interiors and slums and all that, they believed in that system that the woman is there to serve. And, uh, you know, keeping them in their place was one thing that was in, put in their heads when they were growing up. They put the woman in her place. She's like a doormat. So, but now things have changed. Like I said, it's now almost the urban India has become 25% at a very fast pace, um, only because of the whole globalization that took place and all the foreign companies are there and people from the rural India have moved to urban India for jobs. Uh, they are into all these call centers and, you know, all these American companies and other plants that have come up, the factories, etc. And uh, so they are now living together out of convenience. You know, the boy feels, okay, fine, let the girl live with me. You know, we can live together. One person can cook and the other can clean and whatnot. So a little bit of ray of partnership has started to come in there. I would not say that the cases are still not happening, but uh, I would say that there is some more awareness, um, but uh, I'm still not very hopeful. The laws are turning um, around. They are giving some recluse to the women by bringing in laws saying that uh, we, we will protect you. But um, I don't know how much is happening. I still hear stories.
Did you ever in your darker moments think of killing him and poisoning him or something just to be free? No, I thought of killing myself. I figured you would. I did not do that to him. I sent my children in boarding schools out of the home environment, the toxic environment. I did not want them to be brought up in that environment. So I sent them away to a boarding school. And that was the time when I thought, what is life for me? You know, like the children will grow up and um, he is this man. He is not going to change. He never wanted to seek medical help. I tried my best. Uh, and then one fine day, I overdosed myself without thinking of the consequences that where my children will go. It was just the spur of the moment how it happened. I would see that. I would probably contemplate that too. And I might take those actions. What kept you going through all of this? Was it the kids or uh, was there a spiritual force you clung to, a hope? Yes, I had some hope. I was a spiritual person from my upbringing days. My parents were very spiritual. Uh, so I was brought up in that environment. I always had a faith in a higher power. Uh, but the uh, the driver was my children, you know, that I had to protect them and I had to give them an upbringing, just the kind that I got. Uh, so I, that is where I decided to send them to boarding schools without thinking of from where the money will come. And I thought to myself, it will come. The universe is with me. I had a strong belief in universe, thinking that it is friendly, it is benevolent, it is kind to me. Uh, the chaos is there, but the order will come. Uh, the war brings the peace. So I knew that all this will go away one day. I just have to be more patient and more strong to take all this. So I planned my exit. When I sent the children to boarding schools, that was a part of the plan, which I strategically kind of thought about the steps as to when and how will I be escaping this wrath. And so um, the first belief that I inculcated or I adopted was belief in self, because at that time I was so weak and so vulnerable that I had lost the conscience, the fierce conscience that was the one who would fight against, uh, you know, the whole, uh, the bride burning that was happening at the time and stuff like that. So I said, I have to go back to that conscience. And so there it started with self-love and self-compassion and self-protection and self-preservation, I would say, and uh, self-discipline. So I did all those things very regimentally. I started to take sub substitutes to give myself the physical strength and all of that. And then started my spiritual journey a little bit, you know, just to get away from the hurt. I started to rewire my brain to overwrite the whole torment that was deep into my psyche. And um, I also started some um, what you call creative visualization. I would sit in one corner and visualize all these beautiful creativity that God has 
created for us the oceans and the waterfalls and the mountains and the birds in the sky, you know, infinite sky, um, the sun coming out, the red flowers and all of that just to create some space in my brain for those moments. So that's how I started to build myself. The ramp building was slow, but steady. It did break down a couple of times, but my commitment to getting free did not deter. So once I realized my victim, the victim in me, I then visualized the freedom. And then I committed wholeheartedly, fully, completely to get that freedom. And I took steps towards that, uh, started working, started, uh, sent the children to the boarding school, bought a house under my own name so that I was not you know, shoved outside of the door and told, get out of my house. And, um, you know, things like that uh, started to take steps to do that. And once my belief in universe and spirituality became stronger and stronger, my I started to honor my intuition because I started to get intuitions and then the angels started to come my way. And Paul, to tell you the truth, uh, these were ordinary men, but they the challenge that they gave me and the suggestions that they gave me were just like any angel would do that to me. And the first angel that came into my life was a therapist whom I went to when I was very depressed in India. And um, they were my alums from Masters in Social Work. They had started these uh, counseling services, which was quite unheard of at that time. I'm talking about the 1980s. And uh, she told me, Kanchan, you are such an educated girl. You are in a well, in like a frog in the well. Come out, crawl out of that well and look at the periphery and you will see the whole world around you. There are immense number of opportunities. Go and look at those opportunities. And, you know, I still, I thought myself, yes, I'm a frog, but I had, I could not take much action um, because of all that was happening. And I was just 23 at the time. But then the, the second angel whom I called the angel was a lady whom I had never seen before. She was standing there right behind me when I was clutching my two twins on my chest and my daughter was wrapped in my leg. And she said, <clears throat> she said, Kanchan, um, you are in your pity at this time. Don't do that to yourself. Don't, what you're telling me are all excuses that you can't work because your three children are toddlers. Just go and look for a job. Just get financially independent first. And that was my turning point. So all these angels have come to me at various points and they freed me. They helped me free myself and my children. You shifted from victim to empowered warrior. Yes, I did. And you know what? Sometimes I feel, Paul, I say I did, but I could not have done anything without all that power that higher power that was around me all the time. One part of my life was 
full of misery and the other part of my life was just floating. My children went to boarding without any money at that time I had, but then I, I got a job in a multinational company immediately. And so, so yes, the, the God has kept me on its two palms, you know. I was the blessed sheep, I feel. Do you look back now and see it all as perfect with those three beautiful children? Yes, yes. I have not even one regret in my life of those 23 years. I know that his role was, and that again, one of the angels put me, put that in my mind, that Kanchal, Kanchan, why are you still talking of that man with me? Who was he in your life? He came just to give you these three children and his role was over. And she was so right. His role was only to give me those three children. I have no regrets. And you know, sometimes when I think back and think if I would have had a happy marriage, I think I would have been just a housewife. I would not have been this person who I am today. How are the children doing these days in the world? What are they up to? Wonderful. They are doing wonderful. They are my heroes. Uh, both my sons are, uh, you know, um, one is a Wharton graduate. The other is from Kellogg. My daughter is doing great. She um, she is not working. She has little hiccups here and there, and that is a part of my story too. Um, but my boys are doing great, and my daughter is a great coach and a counselor, and she's the wisest person. Uh, her husband is an MIT graduate, so they are all flourishing and thriving. What is it in you that had the strength not to be crushed? I think my inner self. I just, I just tried to get in touch with my soul. And I said, I can't believe that I can be going through this torment. I, this is not who I am. So I went back to myself. And that was my, I think, my uh, key to my driving myself, motivating myself. And the other thing that I normally do whenever there's a challenging project that comes to me, even now, is to make it a mission. And when I make it a mission, I have to achieve it. So I think my inner strength has developed a lot. And uh, I, I see that I have to be successful when I, uh, you know, when I commit to something. Was it sort of freeing and cathartic to write it all down now and put it out in the book? Yes, it was. Um, I started it with great enthusiasm because the objective was very clear to me that I have to reach out to the people of domestic violence and share my story with them, become an advocate for them and coach for them and try to see if I can save one, two or three lives even. So that was my uh, start to write the story. And uh, while I was going through the events and the episodes and the scenes, it was very tough. Uh, I would have to leave the writing and, you know, again, get back to my space for some time, do some meditation sometimes, go out in the nature, you know, look at those still trees and the beauty and come back again and start to write again. I did go through PTSD for a year or so. 
I wondered if writing the book would really trigger a lot of these traumas. Yes. Yes, they did. But the good thing about it is that after the PTSD, I went through the healing phase. Because, you know, I divorced uh, that person in 2003. And after that, I went through several therapy sessions. And I thought that I have overcome everything. I'm over it. I've let go of it. The forgiveness is into me and things like that. And um, I was leading a happy life. But then when I started to write, uh, I think, no, I had not overcome everything. Everything was not overwritten. Uh, there was still something holding me. But this writing process and coming out openly with each and every episode, which I had stopped to think about, um, I think that healed me. But when I start to talk like I'm talking just now, I my heart uh, sinks a little bit, you know. I still feel that um, I had to go through that. I love how brave you are. I hope you give yourself credit for that. That's a, that's a pretty big deal that you were able to get out, survive, and now turn it around, write a book, and help some folks. It it will be a great uh, honor for me. I feel um, if few people can read the book, I can go and talk to a few people. I have become an, a certified advocate and a clinician for the state of Illinois, and I do do some coaching sessions, voluntary basis. Um, and I feel good when I do that. What message of hope for someone who might be listening anywhere in the world, who's in a deeply abusive situation like you were right now, what would you want to say from your heart to their heart? Because we have a unique opportunity here to touch them. And it's a miracle that they found us. But if you're listening, it's not an accident. I do believe God, higher power, universe is trying to help. What would you say, my friend, to their to them right now, wherever they are? So to the individual, I would say that speak up. That's the first thing they need to do is to speak up. Don't be shy. Don't be shameful. Be brave. Go out and speak about it. That is number one, because unless they speak, the society does not become aware of the gravity of the situation. People in the society do not know how bad the numbers are and how they can help. So if they can speak up, that is first thing they need to do. Second, I would say is that they have to accept that they are the victims and they are not leading a normal life. Once they accept, they have to look at the freedom, how it looks like, and then give commitment to be free. Because to be free is our birthright. We need to lead a free life. Nobody can put us in shackles and control us or, or exert their power on us. So if you ask me one thing, I would say speak up. You've been listening to the What Matters Most podcast, a 100% listener-supported program. If you feel inspired, please go to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com backslash whatmattersmost and join our family. So until the next time, stay inspired and in the light.